Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's January 12th, 2018. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the planet. I'm Chris Always Sick Casenza. And I am Scott Always Healthy Long. <laughs> yeah, but you had something going on last week. No, no, that was just allergies. Yeah, That's yeah. Not- <clears throat> and all my friends keep telling me I should drink more hard root beer. Maybe that'll help me. Uh... But the more I drink, the more I get sick, it seems. <laughs> you definitely should drink more alcohol. That, that's, uh, that's a given. But uh, I don't know how much that would help you be healthy. Uh, well, I'm going to let you do all apparently the talking. Apparently works well for me, though. Yeah, so. that's what I'm saying. You'll never get sick. So I'm going to let you do all the talking today. And occasionally I'll, I'll, be, I'll use liberal, liberal use of the mute button as I'm hacking all over my keyboard today. <laughs> All right. Well, they're calling it the greatest hand in poker history, and they are um, wrong. <laughs> yeah. But it was still one worth talking about. Comedian Kevin Hart, who can hold his own at the poker table, misread his hand uh, in the Poker Stars Championship Cash Challenge Series televised event, apparently thinking he had it straight, but still won the hand with King High because his opponent ran an all-in bluff with Six High. Some of the Jack High guys laughing. Yeah. Right? Uh, Hart, Hart gave her 15,000 euros to stay in the game. Uh, in an interview with Express Online, Hart claims he knew he only had king high and that his opponent only had six high and gave her her money back because he felt bad that he was playing at such a high level. What do we think? <laughs> I watched the hand. I laughed. I cried. Uh, <laughs> but uh, seriously, he he had to know. He had to think he had a straight. There's, there's no way he's calling it king high there. And the way he did it each street, he would have folded on each street with those bets, no matter how much he thought she was bluffing, he still only had king high. There's no way he's 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 a comedian, man. I think he's saying whatever they want him to say on on these interviews and laugh. But there's no way that he he's doing that. Plus, he's got all the money in the world, so handing her 15 euros to stay in the game clearly, you know, maybe he was fooling around. But to me, there's no way he had to have it. I think he had the straight. Yeah, and if folks haven't seen uh, it, uh, the hand is posted on our Antioch fans page on Facebook, so you can watch it there. But uh, and I think the funniest comment there was uh, Daniel Negreanu's head was ready to explode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Between all this watching, uh, this woman running a pretty good bluff with a six high, I thought I, I gave her credit for it, and uh, you know, obviously, by the initial reaction from Kevin, obviously he's a performer, so he could be performing there too, but it. And looked genuinely surprised when he turned his hand over and realized it wasn't a straight. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, but you're right. Yeah, there's no way you, you call it. This, this isn't the Barry Green, the famous Green, Barry Greenstein story where, you know, he, he put the person on a straight draw. And that meant that if he had the straight draw, he had to have six high. And therefore, he knew there's no way you could put this woman on six high here yeah. uh, at all. It's impossible to put her on that. Now, you could put her on a bluff. And that's great. That's what she was doing. But it would have to be a stupendous bluff to be able to win with King High. I think so. Yeah, even if she's bluffing, you have to say, well, she can't have an ace in her hand either. Yeah, because you still lose with King High. So it's a very specific bluff that she's running, and Kevin Hart's not paying attention that much to even know. And like you said, given what her actions, there's no way you could put her on that. There's just no way. It was pretty funny though. I mean it. It's crazy, and they're like, he's paying her off, he's paying her off. It's like, but she has six high. It was crazy. (laughs) I tell you what, there's more and more poker, though, on TV, it seems. It's it's starting to really start to come back, I think. I I don't know to what extent. Well, mostly live streaming and and web-based stuff, which makes sense because it's it's more accessible to folks. And, uh, you know, for folks that like to watch Poker Hands, uh, live, I mean, this really is a golden age for me because there's all kinds of that kind of content out, you know, from from all the poker tours that do live streaming of final tables to, you know, these 
um, shows on, on Poker Go and other places like that as well. So you know they're growing in popularity. I mean, otherwise, you know, someone like Kevin Hart's not going to bother playing in this game if he knows he's not going to get some exposure. I mean, I know he, he's a good poker player, or a decent poker player, or whatever. But I mean, this is, you know, this is clearly something that was going to get some some eyeballs on it, and he's playing it. So it it the popularity is is picking up. It's very exciting. Yeah, definitely, definitely a fun hand to watch. So it, uh, I, I do think that uh, multiple people called it the greatest hand in poker history. I, I wonder if they just picked up up from the first idiot that said that and <laughs> continued it on. But uh, there are far greater hands that I could think of right now. But anyhow, it, it is an interesting study uh, in poker and and bluffs and over bluffs and re bluffs and quad bluffs and <laughs> whatever level of bluffs you want to get in. So, so definitely go to Andy up fan page on Facebook and check it out. Yeah. And then a, a week after we told you that Vanessa Selps was largely retiring from poker and Team Poker Stars, another Team Poker Stars pro has left the team. Jason Mercier chose not to renew his contract with the online poker juggernaut so he can focus his time on his family, which includes his wife Natasha, who is an accomplished pro in her own right, and a three-month-old child. Unlike Selps, uh, Mercier isn't leaving poker altogether, though. He plans to continue playing tournaments around his home here in Florida, as well as the World Series of Poker and other select events. Natasha wrote a column for us for like uh, a day and a half, I think. Yeah, super nice woman. I met her uh, when she used to live up here in Tampa before she she met Jason and got married and uh, had a really good meeting with her. Super nice and obviously a fantastic player. So yep. and, uh, they look very happy now being married and having a, having a kid. And uh, I, I mad props to to Jason here for stepping down a little bit. I mean, obviously he's not giving up poker like Vanessa is, but, uh, but understanding that uh, – you know, he wants to, you know, see his child grow up, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, people in a lot of professions, I just poker, uh, wake up, you know, with old Cat in the Cradle song playing and, and missed out on all that. So, um, and certainly he's a, he's a good enough player and uh, Natasha's a good enough player that they'll be fine um, just with the tournaments here in Florida, I would imagine. And then, of course, obviously going out to the World Series every year. But Have you noticed, though, two spots opened up for from Team Poker Stars? <laughs> There's me and you, two spots for us. I think they're uh, stepping aside so you and I can uh, realize our uh, potential. Oh, man, can you imagine those TV commercials? You have Vanessa and Jason stepping away and then... Our two ugly asses <laughs> coming in the frame. Walking in and saying, that's right. Play with the big boys. <laughs> Team Poker Stars pros. Scott Long and Chris Casenza. Oh, I love it. <laughs> they play They play one cent, two cent on Poker Stars. Come join them. <laughs> but, you know, I think this is more about what we talked about last week with, uh, with Vanessa. And, uh, you know, Jason's never struck me as the guy and the guy that does this for notoriety. I mean, obviously, I... I think he enjoys it and, and does well with you know being on TV and is as well known as he is. But uh, but you know there's more to this game to him than than that. So you know um, obviously the family is really important here and the fact that he knows that he can have have a, kind of have it all right. You can't you can't uh, he's not going to be traveling the world and doing all that stuff. But he he will still be a um, a very successful poker player and a hopefully a great dad and great husband at the same time. And uh, I think that's that's an interesting. Um, uh, it's a different way of looking at it than some other people do. You know, the other thing too is he's he just like Vanessa. He's young. He's still young. He's still relevant. Right. So even if he you know raises the child, gets him to you know uh, kindergarten or first grade, the kid's like six or seven, and you're like, you know what? I I think I'm I'm gonna get back into playing poker. Stars would still be like, come on back. You know, you're still only thirty two or something. You know what I mean? You know, I mean, these poker players, look at, I mean, people are still playing in their 70s and 80s. So even if he does take the time away and raises his child with his wife and they both, uh, you know, both continue to play small down in Florida or whatever, he's still going to have big cash. He's still going to be in the, the zeitgeist of poker. And then when he's ready, they'll be ready for him. He'll come back, too, if he wants. If he wants to. I mean, he may not have to. But if he does, they'll still want him because he's that good. And he's still young enough and still relevant enough, even five, six years from now, when the when the child's in school and and whatever. So, I mean, not that he's gonna, you know, I'm not saying that. I mean, some people want to raise their kid all the way to they're 18 and then decide. But a lot of these people, after you know having a kid for five or six years, are like, yeah, I'm ready to get away for a little while. So, never know. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, I think it, it, it illustrates the, really the biggest challenge to becoming a poker pro now is the travel. You know, if you're able to, if you've got a good cash game wherever you live whether it's vegas or california or florida or um you live in one of those areas where there's constant tournaments which all three of them are 
um, you know, you could you can eke out a decent living there. But but once you try to start chasing these player of the year things and uh, bigger money, then you're on the road all the time. And uh, some people can adjust to that, and some people can't. Um, so, what do you think would happen to the poker world if they banned of the year contests? <laughs> right? If there were no players of the year, tournament player of the year, and if all these of the years went away, would the travel go down or would they still travel the tour? Uh, I would think, yeah, no, I think the travel would go down considerably. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I, I don't think that's the biggest reason that people travel. I think people travel because they go to where the games and tournaments are that they think they're going to do the best in. Um, and, and some people do like the do like to travel. I mean, I like to travel. I like to see different places. So, um, uh, so some people would do that. Um, so I, I don't think it's a big deal for that. But it certainly, you know, there are people that you know they get into this thing and they they want one that notoriety of being up eight of the year somewhere, right? <laughs> right. Um, and to do that, that means you have to you have to go and be sure you're you're playing in all of them so no one else can uh, beat you. So it's a real smart marketing. Um, pitch for these tours to do that because it forces people to play it's like anything else it's you know one of those um any kind of promotion in a poker room where you know the top 100 players of the the month in live hours play get a any poker groups what a fantastic idea <laughs> you know it, it forces players to play more than they they would normally because they they want to get to that point so it is effective um so yeah if you did away with them it would be less effective in bringing people but not not, not catastrophic, I don't think. <laughs> Any updates? Poker venues across North America will be participating in our Restock the Shelves Food Bank Initiative with Blue Shark Optics this month. Venues hosting events this week include Derby Lane in Florida, January 12th to the 14th, Harris Akchin in Arizona on January 13th, Jack Cleveland, January 14th to the 15th, Fire Keepers in Michigan, January 15th to the 17th, Inn of the Mountain Gods in New Mexico and Ho-Chunk Wisconsin Dells in Wisconsin, Foxwoods in Connecticut, Bend Poker Room in Oregon, Lucky Chances in California, Honda Casino in Arizona, and Shark Tank Poker Club in Ohio, all on January 15th, and month-long promotions at Pearl River Resort in Mississippi, Daytona Peach Kennel Club in Florida, and Seneca Casino Niagara in New York. For more details on all of the events, please visit com slash restock. TGT Poker and Racebook in Tampa, Florida will be hosting an Antioch Poker Tour set sales series through February 10th with six tournaments of buy-ins of $20 or $50 each, awarding two Antioch Poker Cruise packages for the March 8th sailing out of Tampa. In addition, the winner of the final tournament will appear on the cover of the March issue of Antioch Magazine. Players can win their way into the tournaments during the Beat the Boat promotion every Tuesday through Saturday, starting at 1 p.m. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast.nantiapmagazine.com. If they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This is the Vic G show, I think, today, as yes, I was looking over yes, the file. We did this because uh, we do have submissions from other players, and I always like to get those in um, more so than our overexposed Super fans. Uh, but we have a couple categories where it's all Big G now. So why, why not just have an all Big G show? I mean, every once in a while he should have, you know, uh, uh, throwing the little rose petals down as he walks around. You know, <laughs> we should, to we should have him send in, like, a, a little audio clip that says, and I'm Vic G, and then we'll insert it at the beginning <laughs> of the show when I say I'm Chris Cosenza and you're Scott Long. Uh, he says uh, he's playing in a 1-2 game in his local uh, Florida card room. Seated at a passive table with several players who appear to be new, new to the game. The gentleman on his left is one of these players. He's unsure when action is on him and isn't always clear on how the blinds work. On the hand in question, I look down at a suited jack of diamonds and limp in. The flop brings a queen and a jack along with a backdoor diamond draw. We're first to act and uh, lead out for 10 bucks. Uh, the man on our left is the only caller. Once he calls, I know that he's got a queen, and I'm done with the hand unless we hit trips or make our runner-runner flush. The turn is a diamond, and the action goes check-check. I'm anticipating a diamond on the river, but am disappointed to see a blank. I check again, hoping to get the showdown for free. Instead, our opponent now bets 15 bucks. We know we're beat, and for some odd reason, we toss our cards in face-up. Our opponent immediately tables his hand, showing me that he indeed had a queen, beating our pair of jacks. 
As I looked down at the cards, I noticed that the river card paired my kicker, giving me jacks up. I was so focused on the flush or trips that I forgot my kicker. Since I never announced fold and the cards are resting untouched between me and the dealer, is it ethical for me to announce call or to just toss in the $15, thus winning the pot? Keep in mind that this is a relatively small pot and the newbie on my left will eventually lose his stack in this game, hopefully to me. Have either of you been in this situation before? If so, what did you do? How would you handle this situation? I picked up my cards, turned them over, and flicked them into the muck. The winner never noticed that I had him beat, but the dealer and the rest of the table did and never said a word. Yeah, okay, so here's what I told Vic, is one, um, not every room considers you flipping your hand face up in a floor motion a fold. Uh, some do, though. So if they if you're in a room where they do consider that a fold, then we're done with the ethical discussion of the day, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a fold. Yeah. Um, it, it appears that this is not one of those rooms. So at that point, now you've got a an ethical dilemma here. And, uh, and I don't think anybody would necessarily criticize you harshly for tossing your $15 in. But, you know, here's the thing is we, we thought we were lo- our hand lost. Uh, we misread our hand like Kevin Hart. <laughs> and uh, if our intention was to fold, I believe that the ethical thing to do is to, to do what we intended to do and fold. Uh, I was laughing at your Kevin Hart thing, but I had the mute button on because I was hacking up a lung. <laughs> so that was a funny line about Kevin Hart there. If I could go back in time and laugh again without the mute button, I would. Um, very interesting situation here. I, I think ethically, uh, ethically, yeah, a fold is in order. I, I'm not saying to be unethical at all, I'm, but there are a lot of times where people turn over their hands and they don't know what they have. Now, if it's a check check at the end, that's usually when that kind of a situation arises because you just turn your cards over. Right, that's like, oh, different. That's a card speak but, thing. Yeah, card now, speak. But in this situation, now, come, now, now it's not on you. Now it's on the dealer. Yeah. Just, hey, there's an exposed hand, and I'm going to read it correctly. But yeah, but now in this situation, you thought you lost. I mean, I don't know. Ethically, you know, legally and ethically are different. So ethically, yeah, the right thing to do is be like, hey, you know, I. But I don't know though. I mean. Well, I'd also argue ethical might be a strong. Yeah, I, here, I don't think right? it's unethical to call here. I, you, you don't know what you had. You turn your hand over, saying, "Look, I have the," and then you, "Oh, wait, I don't have the worst hand." You know that you're. It's it's the same as peeking at your cards and realizing, except you turned them over. If the rule in this house is not that you folded doing that, I don't know. I I, I don't I don't know. I right. Mean, like that's, you, that's my point. Is I I don't think. I don't think anybody should criticize you if, if he would have chosen rather than to mock here to put the $15 in and then win the pot. So there's, there's a lot of things we talk about in the show that are are really egregious. Yeah. <laughs> this is not even egregious. Well, <laughs> yes, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, here's the other thing, and I like that he mentioned this at the end because, you know, some people are, are – tunnel vision focused on the pot and how much is in the pot and obviously as he mentioned this is a small pot but there is he, he did get he did pick up some benefit here by doing what i would say the right thing right because he he did say the deal with the risk table stall what he did and i i would think that would earn him some level of respect from those folks right mm-hmm. for doing quote unquote the right thing i i don't know what that means in terms of the rest of the game but i would rather always have some respect less than more than i would less respect right right so so there's some value there um now it, if this was a twenty five thousand dollar pot and your mortgage is in there yeah i might go ahead and toss in the fifteen hundred dollars or whatever um uh, but yeah it, it's easier based uh because of the, the the pot size and and the the bonus you get for quote-unquote, doing the right thing. So what you're saying, city commissioner, is that if the amount of money, you have your right price, there is a, everyone has their price, apparently, Mr. Commissioner. So if I were to bribe you with $15... The decision is easier. The price is not. Uh, let's see. I bribe you with 15 bucks, you don't do it. But if I offer you 15 grand, you might be willing to vote in a way that'll get me that permit, huh, Mr. Commissioner? All right. Oh, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think, I think he did the right thing, but... I don't know if I'm in that situation myself, and I turn over my cards, and I'm like, "Oh, 
sorry, man, I got the winning hand. I'm just going to call, though. I'm not going to rage you or whatever. You know, whatever. I might think that, too. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, like you said, it's a small pot. He's only got 10 bucks in there, and he knows he's probably going to get it back from him. It's a, it's a good way to, you know, not charity, but it's a good way to, to show some, you know, even even empathy at the point, too, because you're like, all right, I know you don't want to play the game. I've been there myself. Look, here, I'm obviously making a mistake as a beginner would. So take the money and run, and hopefully I'll get it back from him later. But, eh, tough, tough situation, you know. And I don't know, are there a lot of rooms that would make that a fold? They're not a lot. I, I would say that they're in the minority, but there are some based based on the call to floors that we get often. Um, you know, where people talking about the quote unquote folding line on yeah. the table, which sometimes is the players thinking it's a folding line, not the room. But there are rooms that do consider that an action line, even though they really shouldn't. Um, again, very very few, I would think. Uh, certainly not not the the ones that are going to poker TDA meetings and are really involved in, in making sure they're current on everything. But, right. you know, there are probably some s- small rooms in some places that just aren't, aren't as well run that would consider that a... Yeah, because like in tournaments, you're not supposed to expose poker. your hand, so that would make sense. But in cash games, a lot of guys are allowed to show their hands no matter what. You know, if we intentionally showed our hand to see how he'd react to it, and then notice we had two pair, you know what I mean? Then what do you... You know what I mean? If you didn't, you know what I mean? So there's there's still that sort of... I don't know. That's That's a tough question. Well, yeah, and that's if that's the case, if you're in a room where you're allowed to show, which I think more rooms allow you to do that than, than fewer probably in a catch game, you know, now it's more on your opponent when he exposes his hand without realizing you haven't acted yet, right? Yeah. But now that that becomes a whole other ethical sin. Now are you taking advantage of an inexperienced player by, you know, exposing your hand and confusing him as to what's going on? Yeah. And some would say, hey, you know, hey, you sit on the table, you got to know the rules, and I'm going to take advantage of you as much as I can. And others would say, no, hey. <laughs> How about winning the pot correctly and uh, not with any trickery? So, yeah. Hey, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcastandanniapmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. Comes from some guy named Vic G. <laughs> it says, I'm playing at a full 1 2 no limit holding table in my local Florida poker room. I just folded face up. No, I'm sorry. Uh, we're heads up to the flop, and the dealer burns a card. Uh, but when he fans out the flop, there's four cards. Ace of spades, jack of clubs, seven of hearts, five of spades. The dealer calls the floor. The floor explains that these four cards will be turned over, mixed, and one will be selected as the next burn card, with the three others making up the corrected flop. The dealer mixes the four cards, and the floor selects one, which they slide under the previous burn card. The new flop is Jack of Clubs, Seven of Hearts, Five of Spades. The floor says, so everyone remembers what the burden card is, right? I remind the floor and dealer that the next card off the top of the deck is the turn, since we have two cards burned. Both agree. Neither player seems to disagree. The small blind leads out for $20 and is called. The dealer must have forgotten that they didn't need a burn card. He burns, making the third burn card, and turns the Three of Hearts. Small blind leads out for $35. Only now, after the bet, is it pointed out that the dealer didn't need to burn. What's the correct way to fix this? The floor had the dealer shuffle the three of hearts back into the stub, put out a new turn, then put out a new river card without a burn. The small blind bet $35 and was called. Since three cards were burned, the next card, the queen of spades. Small blind bet $55 and the opponent folded. I would have preferred a different option. The small blind had acted on the three of hearts, and his opponent now had this information. Replacing that card was unfair to the small blind, especially since the dealer and floor should have halted play before the $35 bet. Let the card stand, and the next card off the top is the river, since we burned three cards. All right, Elliot says, I hope you're playing at multiple card rooms in Florida. Otherwise, the air raid at this one poker room must be a daily challenge. <laughs> to insanity. Serenity now! Uh, in any event, I sincerely empathize with you. The unpreparedness of so many poker rooms to prevent errors and probably rule on errors really grinds my gears. Shout out to Peter Griffin. Uh, in this case, the flop was scrambled because of the four-card flop. One card was randomly chosen to be the exposed next burn card, leaving three cards for the flop. The dealer then burns another card and places the turn on the table. First player to act bets out, and then the extra burn was noticed. This is where it fell apart. It is highly recommended that when the exposed burns are in use, the exposed burns are placed on the stub face up 
So the deal will burn the top card as usual. Since one player acting does not constitute action, the cards must be corrected for consistency and simplicity. What should have happened here was that since no accepted action had taken place, the extra burn should have been correctly placed on the table as the turn, and the inverted turn been just another exposed burn card. The betting started over and resumed from there. There's nothing unfair about the replacement of a premature, uh, prematurely or inadvertently exposed cards as long as the procedure to correct them is consistently applied. The mistakes were that the extra burn card was not used as a turn after it was noticed and that the exposed burn card was shuffled back into the stub rather than just treated as an exposed burn. Everything else was ruled correctly and seemed decently ruling, ruled given the unusual situation. As for your point about letting the card stand and then placing the river after not burning, this is not quite the point of the process. The point of the dealing procedure is uh, not to end up with exactly three burns and five board cards. The point is that it's merely the result of correct procedure. The burn cards are used to add security and integrity to the game, especially in spots where the entire deck or just a stub needs to be hand-shuffled. Furthermore, please don't mistake consistent procedure for card destiny. The cards have no idea where they are supposed to be, and neither do we. All unseen cards are random. It doesn't matter if the cards are shuffled and reshuffled before any card is dealt to a player or added to the board. Having too many burns is not harmful or unfair as long as every player is acting under the same circumstances and with the same information. Whew. A lot of big words there. I like Elliot. He's educated. <laughs> he is a learned person. I tell you, it, it's remarkable that we don't have uniformity in some some way. Oh, wait, we do. We have TDA rules and Robert's rules, but somehow the, the people just don't follow procedures. It, it's bizarre to me sometimes. You'd think that they would know the procedure, and if they didn't, they would call somebody who did know the procedure. I don't know. All right. I mean, a lot of it's training, too. And one thing I... Obviously, I want programs to be run properly and for people to understand what they need to do properly. Uh, but I also understand that, you know, I was young at some point and had a lot to learn, and I made mistakes. And because I was allowed to make mistakes, I learned not to make them again, right? Right. So I, I do have some sympathy for the fact that not every program employee right out of dealing school knows everything. And it does everything correctly. Um, but uh, Elliot makes a good point, though. The, the Those in charge really should ha- have been put in charge because they have some level of experience to the point that they don't make consistent mistakes when they are called over as floors. Right. Uh, and that doesn't seem to be happening here. Hey, we have a brand new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated at a typical nine-handed, $1-$2 Nolamit Hold'em Casino cash game. We've noticed we are one of the better players in this game that has a lot of players that like to speculate. We've had an up-and-down night, but after a few hours of play, we are up about $50 with $250. The blinds post, the under-the-gun limps in. This player is one of those speculative players that likes to see flops. He sits with around 175. He's a younger guy and will chase draws if he has one, but he usually goes into call mode when he's on a draw. It's folded to us in the MP with the Ace of Spades, Ace of Diamonds. Awesome, let's raise it up. The standard for the table has been to open with $10. We account for the limber and make it $12 to go. We get one caller behind us, the cutoff, a player who we don't know too much about that sits with 200 It goes back around to the end of the gun, who also calls. Interesting, but not unexpected. With about $35 in the pot, the flop is the 10 of clubs, 6 of clubs, 5 of clubs. The end of the gun thinks for a brief moment before checking. We were the pre-flop aggressor and aren't necessarily afraid of the all-club board. We make it $20 to go. The cutoff calls and the end of the gun calls. Interesting. There's $95 in the pot. We sit with about $220, and the turn is the six of spades. The end of the gun suddenly comes alive for $40. We weigh the options for a moment before deciding to call. The cutoff calls as well. There is now over $200 in the pot. We have $180, and the river is the deuce of spades. The end of the gun wastes little time in putting $50 into the pot, leaving him only about $50 behind. So, it's on us. We still have one player to act behind us. What's the move? 
This is Daniel Negreanu of FullContactPoker.com. You're listening to Anti Up. It's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Comes from Vic G again. Surprise, surprise, surprise. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, man. We'll complete the hat trick here for him. Uh, and uh, he says, uh, I was playing in a nine-handed 2-5 no limit hold'em game. With a fifteen hundred dollar maximum buy-in at the win in Las Vegas during the World Series poker this last year. Nice. The uh, chip leader has a massive stack. Literally, it's like he's been playing in a four-eight limit game, but instead of stacks of white chips, his are red. The base of his pyramid is a triangle with six stacks on each side, and goes all the way up to a single stack on top for a total of fifty-six hundred dollars. Nice. He's got a few additional chips behind, but every time he wins a pot with the green or black chips, he runs to the cashier and returns with more red chips <laughs> to add to his 15-inch Tower O chips. <laughs> I've seated a few seats to his left when this hand occurs. Uh, the other gun folds, and our villain is next to act. He reaches around his mountain of chips and raises to $35. It's folded me in the hijack position. I look down at King of Spades, King of Clubs, and I'm sitting with just over... $1,700. Remember the Seinfeld episode when George does everything the opposite? <laughs> right? Or his normal instincts have gotten him nowhere in life, so he's going to do the opposite, and he ends up having everything go his way. And... Right. Oh. <laughs> Whenever Vic G is giving us the hand of the week, I always feel like I need to do the opposite of what I would want to do. So in this case, I want to I wanna raise, but it's Vic G... So maybe we try something totally different and try to trap this guy into giving us all his money <clears throat> and just call. Um, it depends on the rest of the table. Sometimes you might want to just have some fun and call and see if you know you could really make this guy put you on like crap hands when you have a great hand. And I don't know. It, it's tough to. You know, that's the other thing, too. You got a guy with six grand in front of him in a 2-5 game, and then you re-raise his raise. Unless you have a reputation of being a really loose player, you're almost putting your cards up on the table face up. You know, because who's going to re-raise this guy who's under the gun plus one with six grand unless they have a decent hand? You know, so if you're making it 100 to go now, it's like, to him, that's nothing. Um, But if you get tricky with him and maybe try something different... Maybe try a call or something. Maybe that will play out differently later. So I, I just don't know. And it depends on the rest of the table. If you got somebody at the rest of the table who's looking to get you know ris- uh, frisky and stuff and re-raise him or raise him, yeah, re-raise him, and then it gets back to you, and then you can really put the hammer down with your kings and, and get a lot of dead money and take it take it down right there. So I, I don't really know anything about the rest of the table. So it's tough for me to say, you know, if I knew there was somebody who likes to mix it up or whatever, I might raise. If there's everyone's going to fold because this guy's just dominating the table, then maybe I just call. So it really does depend on, on the situation, and it, it's tough to really give a full analysis unless I know everyone at the table and all their stacks and how they all play. Uh, generally, though, speaking, we're going to make it 100 to go probably uh, and then take our chances from there. Well, interestingly enough, you mentioned wondering, you know, about the rest of the players at the table. So uh, here's what uh, Vic tells us is the cutoff button, small blind, and big blind are all ABC players, so he expects them to fold regardless of my play. I might try calling then. You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't think Vic's the type of player that's happy with taking down a $35 pot. I think he sees those stacks. He's bought in for a decent amount, and he's looking to maximize the value of his hand. Clearly, this guy didn't make six grand playing just aces. Right. So when he raises, you can't give him credit for aces. So I think we're ahead, and we might be able to be a little tricky here, you know, and just call. If we raise and then undercards come, and then, you know, it's just, it, there's just so many ways you can, I mean, it's only two two real ways to play this hand, raise or call. You're not going to fold them. Um, but, I mean, there's just so many ways that you can, or angles that you can take after this after this bet. So, I don't know. Uh, let's try something different and just call, because that's the opposite of what I normally would do at this table. I'm trying to do the opposite for Vic G today. Well, there's a couple of reasons I like the call here. One, um, you have to mix up your play. Um, 
in cash games particularly, I think, and not be predictable and not do um, exactly what the book tells you to do, right? So the book does tell you to raise here, um, but but I like mixing it up a little bit. Um, I also like mixing it up here because I know Vic is a good enough player that he will realize that if the flop goes badly for him, that his king's just shriveled up and not to go crazy with him. Right. And I think that's the big difference is, you know, when we're talking about protecting your hands and, you know, our newer players think that they have to protect their hands. And then when we suggest, hey, maybe you get tricky and just limp along, that now you've you got to play out this hand because you've got kings no matter what. And, you know, so if you're going to take the, the risk, and it is a risk to just limp here, um, you could be wrong. Like all these other players could all come in and then now it's really a problem. Um, or, you know, he allows his opponent to outflop him. Uh, so there are risks involved here, but they're only risk if you allow yourself to fall completely down that rabbit hole if the hand goes crazy. Right, so right. I got a lot of a lot of faith in, in Vic's game here. So I think the best play here is to limp, disguise the strength of your hand, and hope for some good action the rest of the, the hand that will um, continue to disguise the strength of your hand. It'd be really cool if we limped, not limped, but called, flopped a set of kings and he flopped like a set of eights or something that'd be really cool but what you got to hope for here is unders and then this guy just tries to bully you and you have the overs and you know he ends up having second best hand but I, I, let's right. try a call okay uh vic says i don't raise the pocket kings 100 percent of the time i read somewhere that it's an easy way to mix up your plays to pick two suits and call if you have them but raise with all other combinations i usually just pick two black kings since it's easy to remember eh, interesting i like that huh uh, in this case, facing the chip leader, I'm raising with my black kings. Uh, I raise two-thirds of the pot and make it 85 to go. Uh, the ABC players fold, and I'm heads up with the villain. Okay, so I'm kind of confused. Um, you said the the guy with the big stack made it 35 to go? That's correct. Two-thirds of the pot? Two-thirds of the pot would only be forty-three, dollars $42. Two thirds of the pot would be thirty-five or whatever, or dirty. I don't, I don't understand how he raises two thirds of the pot. Well, I guess if you put that forty onto the thirty-five. Oh, he's raising that to the. Oh, okay, yeah. to the bet. Yeah. Okay, so he made it. How much to go? Eighty-five to go. See, now normally I would say I would raise the eighty-five to a hundred, but I did the opposite because it's Vic G. <laughs> so That's funny how Vic is doing what I want him to do. Catch chasing dogs. Yep. All right, so he raised eighty-five. What happens? All right. $170 in the pot. The flop is the Queen of Diamonds, Seven of Clubs, Tray of Hearts, and the villain checks to us. Yeah, that's not surprising. We re-raised him. Now he could be trapping us. <clears throat> but uh, I'm going to bet probably half, the, a little more than half the pot because it's it's really a dry board. Nothing's happening on this flop. No straights are getting there really. I, I mean, yeah. Could he have 5-6 or 4-5 or 4-6? Maybe. But this is about as good as it gets. The only better would be a deuce of hearts. All I, I think it gets better had we just called on the flop. I mean, on the pre-flop. Yeah, you're right. That's I, the only way it gets better. Because now I was just thinking in my mind, because that's what I was going to do. And I'm like, this is perfect. But then and you're right. You reminded me that we raised. So that probably induced the check. And now now we got to keep the pressure on. And I wonder if we bet here if we're going to get raised. And then we got now we got to figure out whether he's sitting on aces or pocket queens or a uh, hand that is... Not as good as we are. Yeah. I mean, even sevens, I think he would, with that stack in front of him, he would raise the pocket sevens too. I just think he's dominating the table and he's got the stack and a lot of people raise with their pairs. So we could be behind a set, but we're not taking that stance. We're just going to play our hand and see what happens. So I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to bet a little more than half the pot, I think. Okay. Our hero says, uh, no base on the flop, so we crossed that hurdle. I've seen the villain call good size C bets with middle pair, top pair, and a weak kicker. I'm going to make a larger-than-usual C-bet to make it look like I missed with Big Slick. I bet 160, and after some thought, the villain calls. Definitely a bigger bet. Yeah, that's a big bet. Uh, but he calls, so he didn't raise, and there's some thought there. So the thought could be he's got aces and wants to know whether he should raise now or has pocket queens and maybe he wants to raise now. Probably less likely that. but Or the thought could be that uh, am I how far behind <coughs> Well, I wonder if he's also thinking, I'm going to call here. He's going to have ace-king, 
if a blank comes on the turn and I check and he checks, I'll bet the river and he'll fold. True. So it could be thinking that too. I don't know. That's a lot. That's a ways down the road, but that's what these players usually are thinking is down the road. So maybe he's thinking that too. Um, but I don't know. I'm not too worried about the call right now. The guy could have queen jack, you know, so he could have been raising with the ace queen. So I, I not, I'm not too worried about the call or the thinking. I'm just, I'm happy that I still have an overpair and I'm not going to outthink this yet. So I'm going to uh, be happy with this and see what the turn is. All right. With 490 in the pot, the turn is the tray of diamonds. So our board now is queen of diamonds, seven of clubs, tray of hearts, tray of diamonds. And once again, the villain checks to us. Um, Still nothing is getting there except maybe a backdoor diamond draw. I don't think he's calling 160 with a diamond draw. Um, I think he has to have a piece of this or a pair maybe under the ja- the, the queen like jacks or tens or something. Um, I don't know, though. I, I might, for pot control, I might just check and see if he tries to steal and then just be happy to call at the end with a, you know, if he makes some sort of $200, $300 bet or something on the end to try to steal it. And then if we're wrong, you know, if an ace comes, then we might have to think about it. But uh, I might just check behind here. I, I might just control the pot a little bit and and see how he reacts to that check. Um, you could just put the hammer down now, too. And But I don't think he's drawn anything. I don't know. Maybe you want to get value for your kings, too. I'm trying to explore all options. Um, yeah, I mean, he's also the way he's playing this, it could be some other kind of pair that we have beat, like jacks or tens yeah. or nines or eights. Yeah. You know, anything that's like the queen is a little bit of a scared card, but not terrible scared card. <clears throat> if we're on, like, ace-king or something like that. Um so I don't know. I think I got to keep betting here. I mean, we've opened up some some problems here. I mean, if he's sitting on some kind of two diamonds now, I don't want to give him a free card towards that. Um, the tray of diamonds actually, I think, helps us a little bit. Uh, the tray does. I mean, not the tray of diamonds, but um, but who knows? Could have something else that. Well, here's the deal. If if Vic is as good as we think he is. He bet that 160 because he was trying to tell the story that he has ace king and that he missed. Now, if he's still telling that story, that's the story he started with. If he's sticking with that story, he now check, he right? would check yeah. because it make it look like he has ace king. Now the guy's going to try to steal on the river, and then you take it and you you get extra value out of the hand by him betting with something he would never bet normally because he thinks that he's all behind. That's a good point. Yep. So yep. I'm going to check. All right. I, I, you talk me into it. You, uh, I think you're, so we'll see. Uh, all right, Vic says the the tray should be a blank, but it does put backdoor diamonds on the board. And if he's holding a hand like queen jack or queen ten and hits his kicker, I'll have a better two pair. I decided to check back both for pot control and to get him to bet into me on the river or to call a big river bet. All right, good. We're all on the same page now. Yay. With that same 490 in the pot, the river's the jack of clubs, completing a board of queen of diamonds, seven of clubs, tray of hearts, tray of diamonds, jack of clubs, and the villain checks to us yet again. <clears throat> Wow. Huh. I guess you got a value bet. It'd be silly to check again, and you're just going to be... If you check again, it's like he's going to run you over the rest of the night because you're just... Yeah, he's, he's really on a big multi-level play here if he's got a, a big hand here and he's checking all the way to the end. Yeah, I mean, if he made queens up, that's fine with us because we have kings up, and he might have checked that when he made queen jack and made two pair, and he's going to be like, I got a better two pair than you. Because you'll have queens and threes with an ace kicker, and I'll have, you know, if he's thinking something like that, I don't know. Um, but what what hand, I mean, when it goes check, check, you think if he had a really big hand, he'd want to get value on the river. He wouldn't want to run the risk of you with ace-king checking behind again. Right. I can't imagine him being on that level of thinking that he's thinking, okay, Vic was probably running the same bluff with ace-king, and then, you know, I mean, this guy's really got to think that we're going to try to steal it now, and then he's going to raise it. You know what I mean? That's a lot of thinking. It's probably going to go that way just because we're we're talking about it. But I think you got a value bet here. I'd put like 150 out or something, just a value bet. Yeah, that's, I like that. Yep. All right. Uh, right here says, with the villain checking to us on the flop turning river, I'm not sure that he'll call much, but the story I've told looks like I'm holding ace-king. I slide out a bet of 300 hoping for the call. The villain sits there for over a minute. I don't call the clock, nor does anyone at the table. Finally, the villain announces a raise to 1100 wow. So that was unexpected. It's $800 more for me to call into a pot of 1890 
Wow, this guy, if he's got a better hand than us, he showed some serious freaking patience. Yes, right? Yep. And then you look at that stack and you think, he didn't get that stack being lucky. Right. Oh, man. I, knew this was I mean, a lot of me says that he's sensing uh, the fact that uh, the story that Vic is trying to tell, that the ace king we missed, and uh, now he... Now he's putting it to us to a test without really realizing that we have a much better hand than we have too. So maybe I'm a complete amateur. Well, I know I'm a complete amateur, but maybe I'm completely uh, uh, just a bigger amateur than I think here. But it, it seems like he's probably built this chip stack up by putting people to really difficult tests and have them fold, or knows exactly what you have and valued bets the hell out of you. Right, uh, right, but that's not this play isn't that right. So, would he have re-raised pre-flop this huge stack with Ace King? That's the question. Would he have re-raised Ace King or just call with Ace King? If the guy thinks is Ace King the whole way, then then why would he check the river? If he knows you have Ace King and he can't beat it, why wouldn't he just bet it and take it there? Why would he check raise to get? To get three hundred dollars out of you, knowing how does he know you don't have pocket queens? And well, you just, you know what I mean? he could have changed his idea after seeing an extra three hundred enter the pot. Yeah, maybe. How much does Vic have? Did he start the hand with? Do you remember? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Hold on, let me uh, scroll back up. Uh, Seventeen hundred. Oh man. So he's he's literally intentionally giving us what. Bus fare home <laughs> with this raise, is it something yeah, like that. Yeah, cause we bet three hundred plus. What we bet already for four sixty. Yeah. So yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to send. He maybe he's trying to make you think that to make you fold too. I don't know. I don't think he could put us on kings. That's for sure. So I mean, maybe he can because we did raise preflop. That's the thing between our call and the raise now. Right, right. But the whole the whole fabric of the hand changes by us raising preflop versus calling, yeah. so it's really difficult now to know how this hand would have played out had we just called preflop rather yeah. than raise. So. Yeah. Uh, the hell with it. I'm calling. Yeah, you know, I think our check on the turn is giving this guy a little bit of license, which I think was, was good. I mean, and that was the intention of Vic, too, right? You know, it's both pot control and to get him to bet into me a river. Um, he didn't bet into us, but after we put it out of bed, he raised us, which is essentially the same thing. I'm going to be sick if he has Jack-Jack. Oh, yeah, and that that's a really, really good play on his part, I think, if it yeah. is. I'm going to be sick, but I'm going to call. Although, I guess, you know, you would think, you know, again, it, it, it's it, it's not a uh, master stroke here for us to check for pot control here. That's that's a common thing that people would do in, with a hand like we have. So maybe he was if he had pocket jacks counting on the fact that he thought that we would try to value bet here and now he's raised. So I, I'm going to have to say it's going to have to be either pocket jacks or we, we win this hand. Yeah, I'm going to be sick to my stomach. I think. Oh, I'm already sick, so I might as well complete it. I'll have a head cold and I'll have a stomach flu too. <laughs> <clears throat> Alright, uh, Vic says, I really don't see him playing this hand like... Uh, Playing his hand like this, holding a tray. The only hands that I'm really worried about here are Queen, Queen, 7-7, seven, seven, or Jack, Jack. Wouldn't Pocket Jacks lead the river, or was he that confident that I would bet? From his perspective, if I 3-bet with Ace-King, I would have played the hand like that, too. Why raise me if he thinks I have Ace-King? I can't call. Does he have Ace-Queen, King-Queen, or Queen-Jack? Maybe he's bluffing. I think about it for a while, even contemplate shoving, although I guess that's really not that big a deal, right? Right, right. Um, I just can't fold my kings here. I finally decide on a call. I flick my kings into the muck when I see him table queen, queen. Yeah. Gets the rest of my chips a few hands later when I shove a top pair of <coughs> jack high flop, and he's holding pocket queens. Time to try another casino. Wow. That's crazy. Nice. Nice. Yeah. He. Wow. Talk about walking the dog there. Capital W, capital, capital D. Yeah, like I said, this guy's got the, you know, the patience of a egret in a pond waiting for a fish to swim by it's crazy so he raises it and then he just calls our raise flops the set checks calls yeah i mean there's really check, no check from the dude the, the, only, the only real risk he took in his hand was the river I, check was the river check yeah. right yeah because i mean obviously he had to worry about a king or an ace coming if we had king's races um 
by, by playing it as passively as did the rest. But I would do that all day long with this board and how things were going. But, uh, but yeah, the river, he had, to, he had to assume that we were going to put a bet in there. The, the one statement that Vic made that I disagree with is, why would he raise if we have ace-king? I can't call. Well, that that's, doesn't matter. If, if, if he's not right and you have something like exactly king-king, he's going to get paid off. So he's, he's not going to just call your 300 with queens full. And if he knows you have ace-king, he's not going to just call and say, I know I have you beat, but I'm giving you an easy call here of 300 instead of at least putting you to a test and making it 600 or 1100. So I don't agree with that. I would definitely raise you with the hand I had uh, and no matter what. You know what I mean? If I have you beat, it doesn't matter if it's a really good hand. If, if well, it, you know, if it's a queen, just a queen, he's not going to raise because he doesn't, if he's not right. But if he's absolutely positive, you have ace-king, he's still going to raise because just in case he's wrong. I would think the other interesting thing that he did here was raise to 1100. That's a pretty, pretty big bet. It's a, I think, I'm assuming he did it because he was trying to overbet to make it look like he was trying to bluff off, off of it to in, induce this into calling. Otherwise, you know, if you're looking for value here, you would raise it to 600, 800, something like that, right? Yeah. Because he, he knows. I mean, he almost you lost have... it, You know, he probably would have lost better players than us. <coughs> you either have ace king or you have a, hand that you think beats ace queen you know what i mean that's the thing he knows that this guy knows that and so he he showed incredible patience and really great ability to understand what you're gonna do that was pretty crazy crazy ending well uh, absolutely i'm sick i'm sick all around now <laughs> i'm sick all around <laughs> <laughs> i'm chris casenza and i'm scott log we'll see you at the tables Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music.